Welcome to another episode of Roll for Enterprise. Today we have Lilac Schoenbeck, VP of Go-to-Market Strategy at Rocket Software, while Dominic, Dominic is sending us inappropriate pitches from the beach with his feet up in the chair in Italy of all places. But that's okay. We welcome you, Lilac. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you. I wish I had a beach. <laughs> uh, today we're going to kick off this episode with some feedback from a highly viewed podcast episode, What is On-Prem Cloud? Uh, that said, uh, we've had multiple, multiple people respond. And Lilac, I think you have some interesting comments as well. So why don't we just start with you on that? What is On-Prem Cloud? Yeah, this is funny because I feel like we were fighting this battle and discussing this topic 10 years ago. Um, so uh, I think it ties into our uh, main topic here today as well. So, so the question with cloud, right, is, is it just a bunch of stuff strung together or does it actually require the financial model of cloud um, in order to be cloud? Which to me, that was always a sticking point with on-prem cloud is you've bought all the stuff. Um, there's no actual variable pricing. Now, if you're a big enough organization and you can gin up some transfer pricing, which um, I have seen occur maybe three times in my IT career, then maybe we can talk about it. But most folks, um, all cloud seems to mean is a highly virtualized set of servers on site. Uh, Mike, what are your thoughts? I think I, 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 I tend to agree, right? I mean, if you, if you start to look at it, I mean, what are they doing? They're just expanding their infrastructure onto your site, and it's still infrastructure that's managed one way or another. It's still just sitting there, and whether you're using their infrastructure or yours, it's, it's all the same, right? It's, it's on-prem infrastructure. I think where the advantage is and, and, where, and why companies are, are rushing to it or, or, okay, let's say welcoming it with open arms because uh, I wouldn't say everybody's rushing towards it, is it still has that layer of abstraction that uh, the cloud offers everybody, right? So I don't have to worry about the underlying hardware. I don't have to worry about the OS because it's an extension of what I have in my cloud provider, if it's done right, obviously. So I think there, you, you, know, you don't need the tech skills to manage the underlying hardware, underlying OS, because it's still an extension of cloud. It just depends what type of servers or services they're bringing uh, to your on-prem environment. That, that's the way I see it ultimately. So that's interesting because you sort of, you're asking, you're sort of framing it in terms of, well, for who? And so for the, for the business or app owner, an on-prem mm -hmm. cloud is cloudy. And for IT, an on-prem cloud is absolutely not cloudy. <laughs> no, it, it, you're absolutely right. It, it isn't. But I think if you're, um, you know, management looking at it and you're looking at what skill set you have on a team, potentially, you know, you've lost the skill set to manage on-prem infrastructure. And I think that's what's really starting to happen to organizations as they go like cloud first. You don't have the hardware people or potentially the OS people or abilities to uh, to run like processes to maintain that. And, and that's where it gets kind of tricky, right? Because you pass um, a, a point where you, you, your skill set on the team have changed and it's hard then to go backwards. And I think that's where a lot of people are beginning to struggle because they're losing all the on-prem infrastructure, which again, is it right? Is it wrong? Who knows? But I think in essence, there are still applications that require it to be on-prem if you have engineers and, and some, some high compute and low latency people that need infrastructure. Well, if it's on-prem, don't you have power requirements now? Wasn't that supposed to be a benefit? Uh, don't you have hardware that you still have to procure? You have to identify it, even though there might be a, a document that tells you what to procure, what is supported, unless you go with AWS. But even then, 
I mean, it's it's a black box soaking up power, and there's still issues that could happen. So uh, from a support perspective, don't you lose them? You lose something, right? You lose some advantages, don't you? I, I would say so. I mean, I, I see it as it's uh, it's virtualization to the next level, right? I mean, uh, we've virtualized compute, we've virtualized memory, um, you know, you virtualize hardware. And now I think if you, you think of cloud in the bigger picture, they've kind of virtualized your data center. Um, to bring it back on-prem and to have requirements for, you know, I, I think power is is not so uh, worrisome as much as cooling. Um, and yeah, I, I guess power depending on what kind of availability you need. So I, th- I think companies need to um, really think about it twice if you're talking about... Um, you know, high availability systems coming back in. So I think the one thing to note is that I'm pretty sure um, our friends in the mainframe world um, would tell you <laughs> yeah. that, that they've been doing this for years and they don't know what all the fuss is about. And that that's increasingly actually true on the power platform as well, which you guys know is near and dear to my heart um, as part of my day job, um, is that there's ways to actually um, have the physical hardware on premise, but sort of rent the capacity on it and indeed create what is an on-prem private cloud. Um, but I think all of them would tell you that, you know, 1970 called and their your IT infrastructure wants its uh, friend back. That's my point exactly, though. I, I think Lilac, I, I, I don't disagree with that. I mean, is this really cloud? I mean, are they are they pulling the wool over our eyes a little bit? I mean, that's my point. Is this like, oh, hey, this is cloud. I mean, I, I agree with you too, Mike, that operationally, that's great, right? Operational consistency. I get that. That's wonderful. But now to me, there's just nothing more than a vendor. And and at that, there's nothing more than a large vendor or you're buying a stack from a single vendor, a single stack. And I, I see problems with that at, at some point, if it's Amazon, at least. And you know, the other ones might be a different stack underneath it. But, uh, uh, you know, there's complexity being reintroduced. So so what is it? Is it really cloud? I, I, I go against it. I don't I don't think it is. I wish I wouldn't call it cloud because I think it's uh, I think it's different. Well, the whole terminology around around cloud might be problematic when you start to to really think of of what's happening, right? Um, and, and you're absolutely right, um, Zach, about like is it is it really cloud once it starts to to come back? And yeah, I, I think you're you're absolutely right there. Back to the people on the on the mainframe and um, the power platforms, I think then it it you know, is this technology or is this just a different financial model? Because to some aspect, it, it is a different financial model. And maybe that's what companies are looking for and in, in how they classify their, their IT budget and what bucket it would, it would fall into. I actually feel like the financial model was the primary problem with private cloud for, for probably a decade, right? Like um, when I used to be in the cloud management business um, and on-prem cloud management. And we'd let you call it whatever you wanted to call it. Like we had a super Bambi approach to it. Like you can call it cloud if you want to. Um, but the um, the financial model always felt to me like the sticky wicket, like the one thing that never quite came together internally and actually didn't create the right incentives downstream in the organization. Um, because the whole point here is that you pay for what you use and you and you allocate what you need and, and that that will create a consumption model that's more efficient and that actually um, charges back the business for the IT resources that they have. And it sort of was a path to this nirvana of IT actually getting uh, the credit they deserve. Let's call that that right financially um, and um, never really manifested in the on-prem 
world because nobody implemented chargeback and very few implemented showback. And then in the public cloud world, by virtue of the way that Amazon and others aggregate the billing for good reasons, because everybody wants economies of scale, it also didn't manifest there, right? And so at some level, the IT dream of being recognized um, and being treated as a valuable resource that needed to be uh, uh, appreciated and, and factored into, into business plans and so forth didn't ever quite come together. Yeah, and then I, I also think the other problem too was open software was a problem and the timing wasn't right. Uh, there was this whole support model that I think that was an issue. A lot of people are looking at things like OpenStack for private cloud and some other you know products that are out there. And so ultimately, what was that problem? It was operationalizing it. You're trying to find people that understood it. You're looking to an open community for support. That's just that's just tough for your business to, to run on. And uh, you know, outside of Red Hat, nobody was successful there, right? Docker tried, they weren't successful. Everybody chased that model, but outside of Red Hat, nobody was successful at it. Um, and by the way, I think we're seeing something similar with containers, but that's another story. So, you know, I think I think now things are a little bit differently because they realize that, ah, aha, cloud was great from an operational perspective. Maybe not financially. Maybe there's some other things that we're seeing, some other challenges, but operationally it was great. So we solved that problem on-prem. You know, it's, it's what's old is what's new again. Let's face it, the bleeding edge um, adopters of cloud, I think a lot of them had had sticker shocks, uh, especially the companies or the enterprises that were on-prem and decided to to move to cloud. I, I think that the digital digital native companies that started on the cloud, yeah, that that's the price tag they got. They uh, you know they were okay with that. But the people who were doing on-prem and moved to cloud, the early adopters, I mean, they all had sticker shock. I mean, no no way nobody didn't when when you start to look at really what was happening. And I, I think it's changed over the years, but. Some of those companies still have, um, let's say, some um, some bad feelings about cloud from from those early days. I, I think I, I like I think all the points here are valid. I think we just have to wait to see how this unfolds in the industry as we talk more about. And I'm not going to call it cloud. I'll think of another term because it to me is 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 not cloud. If that's cloud, then everything was cloud, right? But um, fluffy fluffy pink cloud works too, uh, Zach. So. Yeah. You know, I've heard it. I've heard it referred to that, too. So (laughs) go for it. There you go. There you go. Well, we let's move on to our next topic. Uh, Mike, you want to go ahead and take that one? Yeah, I think, um, you know, in uh, in prepping for this episode, we had an interesting exchange uh, about uh, enterprise tech change and how fast it's moving and and the pressure uh, some companies uh, are feeling. Uh, whether it's justified or, or not justified. And uh, Lilac, you had some some opinions here. So why don't you um, share with us kind of your thoughts here? Sure, yeah. I mean, I've sort of long had this feeling that we shame IT people pretty pretty aggressively for not keeping up with the absolute latest and greatest because there's this sense that tech should be bleeding edge and that you should be right on the edge and everything at this point should be containerized and what are you even doing with a physical server? And um I think the challenge is, of course, that most IT people are also, you know, trying to run a, a machine that's continuing to run often for decades. Um, they are not known for having huge budgets. Um, and, and I've always felt like this sort of tone of shame has pervaded the industry um, with this feeling that like, so how many of your uh, systems have been virtualized already? I remember those questions out there and people just being like, oh, only 20%. I felt bad for them because that's a a huge change in the way your environment runs and you've had 18 months to do it and very few reasons and no budget. So um, I just don't like that whole framing. I think that really pervades the industry. 
I, I think there there's there's a ton of pressure, and I you, you know I, I think it comes to some of these analysts and and vendors when they come talk to organizations, they're they're always asking these questions and kind of shaming you into let's say a project or a sale, and it, it is like an awful feeling. But let, let's face it, everything is a function of of your IT budget and your ability to execute in these organizations, right? So I, I look at the IT budget in like three buckets, right? You have business ops, you have business change, which is your projects, your, your, your regular run of the mill, like, hey, the business is changing, we need to adapt. And then you have a portion of that that should be an innovation. You know, whether that's small, uh, small process improvements or improvements to products or new products launching, there has to be some part of it that's an innovation. But like you're absolutely right. Companies are still really focused on that business operations, keeping everything running. And you, you tend to get swallowed um, from, you know, keeping everything running. So you look at these budgets and, you know, depending the industry, you know, they could be 1.5% to 7 to 10% of revenue, right? Like the financials run on a, on a high IT budget. But really, I think companies still need to focus on that innovation piece. The problem is how much, how efficient are you on business operations? Because that efficiency, if you can gain it every year and you can execute and you're really good at it, then it opens you up to to more money to center around the innovation piece. So I, I don't know if it's some companies are doing it wrong, but let's also face it. I mean, some companies have different priorities and I think the the shaming comes from not understanding those priorities at times and not understanding uh, the constraints that some of these companies have. Who has those budgets, Mike? Let's talk about those budgets for a second. And, and is that changing? And uh, what does that look like today? Yeah, and, and I Lilac, think, by the way, as well. Yeah, I, to be to to be honest, I think it is changing. I think some of it's sit in IT, but as as IT, you know, gets, as Lilac puts it, shamed or, or fails to innovate, I think those budgets shift to the business. I don't know if you see it the same way, Lilac. Yeah, I think I think that's right. I think business imperatives will change the IT budget, right? If I, I get the sense that if IT finds a way to be more efficient on that operational core, IT will also find itself with a 5% knock to its budget the next year, right? Um, but if you can say, well, there's a business need or a um, purpose to grow the IT budget, then all of a sudden you see that growth. But it doesn't come on the back often of infrastructure enhancements and what is effectively a conversion from um, physical to virtual s- servers or a conversion um, of your applications to containers feels to me like fundamentally a technical debt story, right? It lives inside IT. It has some downstream impact to the ability to innovate, but it isn't a new application that supports an e-commerce business or some business like that. There's no business case for it in that way. Um, and so I think it's really hard for IT leaders to get the budget to make those kinds of large scale shifts. Yeah. And I, you know, if we take like this point in time, like you, you spoke about technical debt, I, I think everybody struggles from technical debt. The problem is if you never get out of technical debt, then you never start to shift, right? It just gets, th- that hill just gets bigger and bigger and bigger to climb and becomes tough if you're if you're not addressing it. And then, yeah, if you don't address it, you start to lose some of that you end up spending more on the business ops and then less on the innovation. And it all starts to kind of slide in the wrong way. So are we saying that we have to strive towards something no matter what, and just not shame along the way? Is that what we're saying? I mean, what, what, 
I think it's partly that positioning, right? I think part of the, I think there's two elements, right? Um, but partly I think it's just the positioning. I think um, marketers and vendors like to position things in this way because I think it sells products, honestly. Um, but the challenge for me is always, are you positioning the IT strategy in this way or are you positioning the individual in this way because i have often heard echoed back to me in in trade show floors which was a fun thing we used to do um <laughs> the this sort of feeling that the individual i was talking to felt bad for not being um fully read up on the latest and greatest and that to me is a kind of personal assault right on their on their confidence that is really unnecessary right the latest and greatest 50 percent of the time goes the way of the betamax and nobody actually needs to know it um and so to me i think we should be looking at the it strategies and saying is this the right approach for your organization to move forward and innovate and recover from technical debt and all of that but try to find a way not to make it seem like oh you don't know about kubernetes oh well are you in kansas like it's just a very negative stance that seems to um promote seattle-based nerds working for amazon as being some sort of you know tip of the hierarchy of nerddom <laughs> which bothers I, me I, I, I like the seattle-based nerd <laughs> i'm from seattle originally so, I don't want to say that. <laughs> so um let me ask you both a question then so we talk about strategy. Is this what's changing? That it's now the business? And then what about relevancy of IT now? I'm just, you know, when you mentioned uh, Amazon and, and some of these cloud companies, are they kind of trying to change that dynamic? I mean, it's, um, I'm just asking the question, where does the strategy lie right now? And is that changing? And what role is IT going to have with the business? The the way I would see it. Um, so, you know, you're, you're right. Like you can't jump on every hot new thing that comes, right? You need to have your strategy and you need to drive to that strategy. And sometimes the latest and newest and shiny object is, is not what you want, right? Whether it's containers, whether, you know, maybe it's cloud, maybe it's, it's, it's whatever, like every company can't jump on that. I think, you know, we separate, you know, commodity to value IT or, or tactical strategic, however you want to split that up. And you need to have part of, of your organization working on the strategic, that also means that you should have, you know, a roadmap for every solution, a roadmap for your big apps, a roadmap of, of where you're going and, and stick to the roadmap, right? Now, the roadmap may deviate, you go back, you look at it. But, you know, if you're just going after whatever some vendor is telling you, then you're doing it wrong, right? Because was that in the roadmap? Is, is this someplace we want to go? Or are we just chasing that? Because, also, like to the Betamax story, if you go after something and then that becomes Betamax, now you've just increased your technical debt, right? So it's it, it always comes full circle. I, I don't know how you think of it, Lilac. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I agree. But then I have a follow-up question for you, right? As somebody who's running an IT group, how do you handle the fact that you've basically got some people who are turning the crank and you know that that crank, if it stops turning, the whole business crumbles and you've got some people that are, you know, in the fancy new innovation area and how do you manage the the humans and the talent on that team to make sure that everybody feels like they're contributing and that, you know, there's not a sort of caste system within IT? Yeah, and I think there there isn't a caste system, but I think there's different groups that, that handle different aspects of it, right? I think what's important is, um, you know, storytelling, right? Because 
you know, the guys who are turning the cranks, they need to understand where they're going with the cranks. I mean, there might be some guys who are painting like, you know, the architects and the solutions people, they're like broad stroke painting, you know, a, a picture, but the people are actually going to, you know, put the color on that picture are the people turning the crank and they need to understand as well what's happening, why everybody's doing what they're doing and where they're going to get, you know, to go, uh, you know, where the crank is moving, let's say. So, you know, it's it's kind of like making everybody feel like they're part of the the, the story. So that that's how that's how I tend to handle it. I, I don't I don't see it as as two different people, but obviously, yeah, I, I would imagine the architects working on you know the roadmaps and and so on and so forth. I, I is it so, is it not the same? I mean, I think we're going to do a disservice though to, to to some of this conversation if we don't bring up just kind of in my opinion, what is a nine hundred pound gorilla in the room? And that is. What is the future of some of these roles? I mean, what's the future of a virtualization role? What's the future of a storage role? I, I, you know, I'll bring it up, but you know, it could be that coming on prem, there's there's still an opportunity there. I think you know that's part of it too. That uh, these roles are shifting, I guess, is is what I'm saying, and what we need, but the business needs is shifting. And um, I, I don't know. It sounds like that's what each of you are saying, right? And so there's still relevancy, but uh, but it's shifting. I want to go back to the operational model, though. I, I agree with both of you that. I see this often where organizations got to take that ops model and wrap it around a vendor and that becomes our operational procedure. And it's a problem. It's, it's yeah, that technical debt. So it sounds like you're saying develop your ops model and, and own that. And then think about, you know, what you place in there at day zero. And it's not that easy, right? I know at Lilac's thinking, well, Zach, we've inherited stuff. It's there, it's here. But uh, I just, I think there's a lot to this. And I think, I think there's a change in the times right now and that we have to account for that. That's what I think. It's, it's really hard on, on, the the tech employees because mm-hmm. i think their skills are uh, I, I don't know how to put this but the the skills evolve right and if you if you stay in one area you can't so you need to kind of become almost a, a generalist in everything uh, knowing enough to be dangerous and then specializing in one area and continuing to evolve that area or suck in more and i you know it's just it's it's moving really fast right and i think this is you know if you want to go to cloud it's a different type of thinking than your you know your virtualization guys and and server ops people so that becomes as well as well challenging and i mean you could look you know through the years at let's say, you know, the the glorified certifications that people were, were going after, you know, years ago, it used to be like, what what was it, MCSE? And then it became, you know, everybody wanted a Cisco CCIE. And, and now what is it? Now everybody's looking at, at uh, cloud certs, right? It, it's kind of like, yeah, this is the new hottest thing, what everybody's going after. It, it's a bit, yeah, it, it's a bit off balance, to, to be honest, because you, you need to keep looking and, and keep learning. I think what's interesting is that you can actually, I think, watch the curve and therefore um, the um, the income, right? The salaries of tech changing over time. So initially in the early days of cloud and Amazon, like, you know, you're going to pay a pretty penny for an, somebody who is well versed in executing um, up on the AWS cloud, right? That was a, a huge, huge thing. And in fact, if you weren't based in a um, sort of coastal business epicenter, you were not going to find one, right? Like there was no businesses in Omaha that had access to a giant talent pool of AWS people, right? That just didn't happen. Um, And so what we saw initially was this sort of really, um, really expensive resource that knew how to be the sort of soothsayer of AWS and bring that into your organization. And then that skill dissipated, right? And everybody had a chance to, to learn it over time. And now we have like an abundance of people who are very cloud intelligent. 
Um, but what has happened actually on the flip side, so since I'm on the legacy technology on the back end of this, is we actually have the reverse situation happening. Fewer and fewer people have the skill set to run mainframes and power systems. And again, the sort of cost of them and the scarcity of them has gone up. Um, and it's interesting how all of a sudden they they feel sort of um, less cool, but equally as hot as some of these early AWS people, right? <laughs> you know, I, I have a thought on this whole AWS thing. It's interesting. Uh, I'm sorry if I'm going to upset some AWS people, but I don't care. It's, you know, much like the warehouses and what's going on there, right? Where they say, oh, we're hiring these people. But in reality, they're they're automating a, a ton of that. And they're going to do the same thing in IT. It's what they want to do from the account manager down to a lot of these engineers, right? That's that's their goal. Their goal is to sell to the business and say, yeah, you, don't, you don't really need these people. They could say otherwise. They could say whatever they want. It's it, all it's the automation. It's the yes. automation of everything. It happens everywhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's garbage if they say something else. They want your job. So when these people say, oh, no, I've got this Amazon cert. I just grabbed it. It's great. I'm going to be an Amazon architect. Yeah, there's a place for some Amazon architects. I don't I don't doubt that. And there's there's a place for some people to help operationalize it. But that is not their goal. Their goal is for you to go to the marketplace, bypass uh, an account manager or bypass someone and uh, or bypass four people and maybe just get to one person. And I think COVID has shown us two things. I think it's shown us that the talent is still in demand, tech talent, but also that tech talent is still in demand. So, you know, uh, I would I would bet that there's also a thought around, well, you know, can we do this with less again? Again, to your point, Mike, uh, automate our way out of this next time. Do we need you know, because technical debt is not just the solution. I think there's everything around it. But, um, I, I, you know, that's I, I, I really think there's an end game here and uh, it doesn't end well. If you're focusing on automation, it's kind of hard to go back and say, hey, let's automate, um, you know, some of the the old tech debt stuff you have, right? Or, or whatever legacy you might you might have. I mean, you're always going to automate um the newest and greatest that you're bringing in, right? That I think that's where the focus is. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of automation in the mainframe and uh, and and legacy system space. Like a lot of RPA, have, like much, much is, is, yeah, more than you're, I you're, expect. You're, you're right. It, it's been there for a while, right? I mean, come on, I, IBM's been doing RPA on mainframe for a really long time, right? Yeah, I mean, they they just put lipstick on it. Yeah, they just they just put lipstick on it and call it RPA. But I mean, IBM has been doing it for a really long time, right? Yeah, it's um, huge, right? Because in, in part also because the processes and the business logic in those old applications, the green screen applications, is so um, sequential that it's and the and so mechanical that you can actually do RPA and automate a bajillion transactions um, very very quickly. I mean, there's a huge amount of benefit in that. But, but those three letters aren't cool. Come on, guys. I mean, you got to have an A, a W, <laughs> and an S. You got to have a G, a C, and a P. I mean, come on. They're just not cool. But I think I think you're both right, but I say but depends what you're trying to do. I mean, if you're trying to do some machine learning and things like that, then there's then you're going to look to it. Google Cloud, right? There's some things that they, you know, that they're going to offer, right? Uh, TensorFlow processing units, things like that, GPUs. But I think I think it's forgotten about. I I, I feel like the and I, you know, I don't have the experience each of you have on IBM or right, on on the mainframe side, but I do think it's forgotten about and it's not mentioned because yeah, it's it's not cool, but it is it is there and it's it, I think it is necessary. You, you know what I what I see and is is kind of an interesting interesting trend. I mean, you say tech talent is still really hot even even in times of COVID, and I think it is. What I see is there's a lot of business people looking for tech talent, not so much the IT organizations, but businesses wanting to up their game, have somebody who's close, have somebody who really understands the ins and out of 
exactly what's happening and hire some of that tech talent right in the business. And I don't think it's necessarily wrong, but do, do you see that? Do you see benefit to it? Do you think it's it's not right? I mean, how how do you how do you guys kind of look at that aspect of it? I, I see the same thing. I think uh, even in healthcare, I know somebody that works in healthcare. Same thing in the large hospitals. They they're trying to take that back into the departments, right? Radiology, whatever these departments are, trying to take ownership of a lot of these solutions. Uh, so uh, yeah, I think you're right. I am seeing that, but it tells us a bigger story, doesn't it? Um, and then I think there's questions around operationalizing that, though. That I think might be challenging, which each of you. I'm sure I have a thought on, but Mike, yeah, I, but I think that's what we're talking about. That's where we're going. So what does that mean for the future of IT? And this is where some of the, like the AWS has been trying to sell to or, or going to for a while. And let's be honest, there are some large software companies that don't even sell to IT. I mean, you look at a Salesforce, they're not living in IT, living in HR, living in marketing and, and things like that. So I, I like, yeah. I like your thoughts, but um, go ahead, Mike. That's absolutely true. In fact, if Dominic was here, I'd make a crack about this being bimodal IT, fast and slow <laughs> IT, and he'd kind of, uh, you know, kind of laugh at it and say, "Oh, that's you know." So yeah, but he's at yeah, the beach. I, I, he's at yeah, the beach. Yeah, he's, he's at the beach you know, in Italy. So, so yeah, so, whatever. Yeah, yeah. he's going to be listening to this, saying that, "Oh, I wish I was there," but that's okay. <laughs> but like, like, what are your thoughts? <laughs> the, I mean, I think. I think you're right. I think we've seen the same trend, right? Is that is that particularly when we start talking about optimizing applications, that that um, uh, buying center or that influencer center has moved as much into the BU, the business or the business side of the business than in IT. Um, I think we see this in a number of different places in an org chart, right? This is one place that we see it flip. You see product marketing move from business units back to marketing and back to business units, right? And I'm sure Zach, you are familiar with that gyration. Um, you see product management move into engineering and then out and back again. And I think that these shifts basically just are like, to me, they're leaning on one leg or the other and they have a detriment, right? The detriment is that the IT people embedded in the business are not nearly as close to some of the technology innovation that they might have experienced by being with IT peers. But on the flip side, right, if they're not in the business then they might lose sight over time of some of the business imperatives, priorities, and the way that the business thinks about innovation. And so I think we just sort of flip back and forth every five years, um, which is not fun for the people in those roles. But as somebody who used to be in one of those sort of bridge gigs, um, I actually think there's benefit to going back and forth and being able to, to play on either side of the field. You're, you're right. And then to tie it into the theme at the beginning, I, I think sometimes when IT sees these tech people coming into the business, it almost they, they, they feel like a shame or they, they need to almost fight it. And I think that's that's a bit wrong. Right. And and that's where I think a lot of organizations get um, held up about like us versus them. And, and that mentality is just completely wrong in, in what I see. Right. I mean, we should be um, you know, really elevating these people because they are the bridge role and, and that bridge role can unlock value on, on both sides. Right. And, and there, I think some organizations just have a poor attitude towards it. Um, I, I don't know how you see it, Zach. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I think that's, I, I agree. I think the same thing. I think that we, um, we shouldn't shame it. It's, it's, um, it, it was kind of like that before, you know, it's funny. I, I, years ago, years and years ago when I was, uh, was a young lad, um, I, worked in a manufacturing uh, for a manufacturing company and it's funny you talk about mainframes uh, we had as400s and I remember that it was the business people that were on the floor supervisors that would vary stuff on and off and kind of do the basic operations right of their their as400 and it, I don't know why that popped in my head but it kind of popped in my head that you know those guys were kind of operating the as400 right I mean to 
to a large extent, right? So are we are we kind of going back and forth? But um, yeah, I, I you know I I want to disagree, but I I I don't. I I agree. <laughs> you you want to disagree with Kent? <laughs> I yeah. just can't. Uh, no, but but we have to have this discussion. I think this is something that. Um, you're right. It's, you know, people are, they feel like, ah, oh, you know, there's, um, you know, uh, whoever's hiring, right. The business is hiring it, or there's just like shame of you know, working in for in business at a, in the business department in it. But I think that's, that's where we're going. I think that's, uh, we're well on our way. And, you know, some of these large software and tech companies realize that and, uh, you know, we'll see. Sometimes the struggle you you see is 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 really kind of IT's understanding of the business. I think we we sometimes ourselves get locked into a bubble where we think only about IT, right? About the infrastructures that and lose sight of kind of what the business is is dealing with. Um, and and I think sometimes the business doesn't share enough with IT so that they understand what's happening there so they can uh, adjust and adapt. When that um, kind of gap starts to grow is when you start to see companies come undone and then also kind of turning back to the beginning it's it's kind of like this is where the business starts to get frustrated about it not moving as fast not understanding what's happening i mean let's face it at the beginning of let's say the the pandemic like in march when everybody went you know you work from home i think there were some companies well-prepared, right? Uh, no worries about this large workforce going home, coming in via VPN, or, or how much um, how much of their infrastructure was already internet-based. But then there are others that just, just struggled, right? And, and potentially only got over the hump like last month. That is just a sign that they, they weren't ready for the shift and potentially not listening to business. I, I think we also have a, a bit of that. And I think the marketing people from the vendors are sometimes talking to, to IT, not realizing... I guess it's it's hard from from where you guys sit to gauge how connected to the business IT is or isn't. I, I don't know how how you guys see that aspect. I think you can tell when you're talking to somebody and when you're talking to a specific customer, right? I think it's really clear. Um, and sometimes when you're talking to a customer, like we said, right, that customer identifies as a business analyst or a business person. That isn't, in fact, what you would call an IT nerd, right? Um, and and then. It, you really understand their connection to the business. In other times, you you feel like there's a really strong disconnect, and I think it varies a little bit on but whether you're at the app layer in your in your work or at the infrastructure layer, right? Because the further toward the hardware you get, the more you get a disconnect, in my experience. Um, but I think you can tell customer by customer. I think it's difficult to make broad statements across industries or across an entire horizontal technology space because it does vary. Yeah, and th- look, this is an evolution. We we said earlier, what's old is new again. But what happens in those scenarios is you evolve, things are evolved. So this is not like it was ten years ago, fifteen years ago, and it's not supposed to be. It's going to be leaner. It's going to be things are improved. Um, and even COVID is even demonstrating. It's probably accelerating this. That understanding the business is imperative. So you know, while we say yes, it's going back into business. It was there before, or whatever. You know, back and forth. But it's improved. And even going back to the mainframe analogy with RPA. Uh, you know, yeah, it's been there, but I would bet money that it's it's vastly improved now because it's evolved, because other technologies outside of it have probably forced it to evolve some. So I think in all of this, I think we're at least I feel as though what I'm saying is it's evolution. It, the roles are evolved. Jobs have evolved. Jobs that people had for 30 years were different 30 years ago than they were 20 than they were 10. And that's I think that's all I'm saying, at least, is, you know, these roles are evolved. I'm not saying, hey, if you're an IT storage guy you're not going to have a job what i am saying is your job is evolved and you have to evolve with that 
and that evolve, you know, the evolution could be back into the business and it, it might slightly vary. And so that's, that's, I think that's the, the crux of what, what I think. And there are still people who have problems evolving and that's really the, um, you know, part of the difficulty that, that we have. That, that could be a generational thing. I think you're right. I, I do, I do think that, I think there's this whole notion of, um, like you kind of touched on it, right? Oh, is this not cool? Is this, and you're right, by the way, if I hear Kubernetes and containers again, I'm just going to go crazy because uh, that's, that's all you hear, those buzzwords everywhere. Um, but yeah, I think, Lilac, I don't want to speak for you, but what are your thoughts? Because I think you touched on that. Yeah, I think that's true. I actually, I completely agree as much as I'd like not to agree because apparently that's the foundation of this podcast. Um, I, <laughs> I, absolutely, I absolutely agree. And I think, um, you know, it's, it's I don't, I don't want to say it's generational because I feel like that's un, unfair. Um, I think it's a mindset and a growth mindset that some people have more than others. I think you can be equally dogmatic in your 20s around AWS as you would be in your um, later years around mainframe, if you've chose to be, um, I think it has to do with wanting, you know, keeping that open mind and saying, well, what can I learn from what's coming and, uh, and from my peers in different parts of the game? Well, and by the way, when I say generational, I think I don't, I don't, that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing because a lot of times in these environments, these, this young generation that brings a lot of outside the box thinking, they get boxed up. They're not able to really speak their mind because if they do, right? They get boxed up. But well, you know what you're talking about. Just just be over there and just do whatever, right? And they're not they're not able to grow and really spread their wings. So I think that's part of the evolution, which is a good thing, right? I think that's I think the people that probably struggle are the ones that have been there for a while. But uh, so I, I I think absolutely we need this generation. They are going to think differently. Um, but I just couldn't help but crack at Kubernetes and containers because I said it again. We need to have a count, Mike. We probably, you know, I'll say it again: Kubernetes and containers. <laughs> Your word um, cloud is all <laughs> Kubernetes and containers on this podcast. Yeah, right, exactly. But uh, but you know, so I, I like I, I yeah, I think I just want to clarify: I, this is a great generation, and because of evolution, you know, they're going to be able to think differently. <laughs> Excuse me, think differently. And you need the people who are going to be dogmatic to, to items, right? I think like there are people who are dogmatic or, or like negative on or, or question cloud, question containers. And just like, you know, I remember back in the day, we had people who would question mainframe and people would question like Microsoft and distributed systems, right? Uh, you know, who really didn't believe that that we were ever going to move away from mainframes and, and AS400s and power systems. And, and that did happen, right? Um, and I think that helps bring um, a, a balance to to everything. Again, it comes down to like uh, diversity, you know, old and new, um, you know, stability, um, you know, value, commodity. You know, people need to think of, of everything. And I think these organizations need to have that, uh, that diversity. So uh, let's see where we go from there. Totally agree. Okay, great. So this has been a great episode. Um, I think I've enjoyed it. Uh, hopefully you have, Lilac. We've enjoyed having you on, and uh, you're going to join us again next week, so we're excited about that. And Dominic, out there somewhere in the world today, on the beach, with a drink in his hand in Italy, um, we don't miss you. We're having fun with Lilac. So, you know, take your time. <laughs> have fun. Ride your scooter. Uh, but no, seriously, it's, it's it's been wonderful. We look forward to the feedback. Um so, yeah, thank you for joining us for another week of the podcast. Thank you, Lilac. Thank you, Zach. And talk to everybody again next week. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. This was a joy.